Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode six of the North Meet South web podcast. All right. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing today? Good. Yourself? I'm doing well. Are you still catching up on sleep after getting back from Laracon? Uh, it's not been too bad. I think I managed to force myself to stay up till about 4 a.m. your time on the plane back to Sydney. So, um, yeah, I think I got the clock reset pretty well and I've sort of been trying to get to bed a reasonable hour since I got back home. So, I've uh, I've been ticking along okay, but motivation has been really lacking this week. Yeah, dude, you guys were, you and Aaron both you guys were just like machines dude i couldn't believe it you guys came over on the plane after like 29 hours of flight and you i think that first night well the first night you got some rest i got some rest too and then i messaged you in the morning and you were up before me you were like up already right and yeah. i had like a four-hour drive and you guys were up at like whatever time i don't know 7 30 or something yeah <laughs> and then yeah and then that night you guys were up later than i was like i'm like i'm heading to bed and you're like all right we'll see you in the morning and then you're up again the <laughs> next morning before me i'm like holy crap how are these guys doing this <laughs> and uh yeah so that was that was pretty impressive i thought you guys would be a little bit more i don't know if under the weather is the right expression but yeah i thought you'd be a little more tired than you were so you guys yeah, I think a lot of it just came down to the fact that because we traveled so far, we really had to make the most of, of the trip and we were only going to be there for the three days. So, uh, you know, you've got to take every every opportunity you have, you know, make the most of all the talks, make the most of seeing all these people because it's it's not like we can just go for a drive for a few hours and see them again uh, you know, on, on the weekend or whatever. So, yeah, it was really good. I mean, I didn't didn't really know what to expect aside from you know, what I'd heard from people online about previous years. And um, I think I, I really, really like the single track conference. Just just being able to sit down with everyone knowing that, you know, you're not going to miss out on any talks and that you're going to hear about, I guess, the kind of things that you want to hear about. Um, and this year was, yeah. um, I mean, I've, I've followed along in previous years with, you know, the, the recaps and the videos and things like that. So this year was really good in terms of it being a primarily technical conference um but it, the, the few sort of softer talks that were sprinkled in uh, i thought were really good as well and really fit in just to break up the largely technical um nature of the whole thing so yeah really good got a lot out of it yeah i would agree this year was far more technical than last year was there was definitely technical talks last year but i think adding that whole sort of workshop day maybe is what they were calling it at the beginning there by the end of day two my brain was worked like it was at the end of the conference last year and we still had like a whole day to go. So having those soft talks in there really did kind of help give your brain a little bit of a rest because you could just kind of sit there and, and take it in instead of having to take notes and and uh, and whatever. So yeah, yeah, it was good. It was really good. I think uh, this was probably the best Laracon I've been to, best technical conference I've been to. I think mostly just because of the people. I'm not sure if it's because I had more people to kind of hang out with this year or because I knew people before I got there. Um, but it just seemed like uh, we were hanging out with the Laravel community folks the whole time. And, and I guess probably helped too that we were staying at the conference hotel. Last year, we actually got this really weird, crazy hotel, which um, 
<laughs> nobody was staying at. So it was a little bit of a bummer in that way. We didn't get to hang out with people as much. So yeah, it was a really good year. Had a lot of fun. So um, I think this episode, we're kind of going to talk a little bit about that. Just some of the talks, maybe kind of recap on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about testing with virtual file systems. This is something I've been dealing with for this last week and uh, just been some really cool uh, discoveries I've made about that. And it's it's made my life a lot easier as far as testing some of these things goes. And then uh, you and Matt have worked on Confoma before. We'll talk a little bit about what that is. And then maybe if you have time, you can share with us some stats about how many people used it at the conference and, and whatnot. So did you come away? Was there any specific talks you came away from the conference with just uh, really impressed with or that you took some great notes on or anything like that? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to rank them in any particular order. Um, but I did have a top top three. Um, so, uh, Sandy Metz talk um, on get a whiff of this and talking about refactoring and and code smells and and that that kind of stuff. Um, I thought it was really really good. Um, and then Jason McCreary's Yagni talk. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, which I think is is really great because um, sometimes it's nice just to get get some external perspective and sort of really ground you and and remind you um that you know there are things and there are times when you see some new shiny thing but at the end of the day uh well as the talk talk was titled you ain't gonna need it so right um i thought that one was really good and then um ryan singer's talk as well which thankfully ended up being um recorded so did it really when folks get a chance to get a look at that either for the first time or, or for those of us that, that were at the conference, get to see it again. I do encourage you to look at, you know, to, to have a look at it because from a developer perspective, and I know I mentioned this to you at the conference, where we're not user experience people. And unless you've got that, that perspective from someone whose job is basically to think solely about the user experience and then to just present you at the end of the day with a, a document or a wireframe or a, you know even a high fidelity design of this is what you need to go and build um i think for those of us that do a lot of work on our own that kind of thing is something that that you often do miss i think so um that was yeah that were my top three i do want to give a special mention as well to colin DiCarlo's keeping eloquent eloquent talk that was amazing um, there were quite a few bits and pieces in that that i think a lot of people um might might start seeing creep into their uh, day-to-day use what about what about yourself what uh, what did you take away um some of my favorite ones were definitely sandy Metz, her her uh her refactoring uh anything that's adam wathen is always a huge hit with me of course you know um i love watching his test driven development flow um and that's always it's you know as a person who's been developing for like professionally quote unquote right uh, for three years, my testing is something I still sort of struggle with, um, and so it's really good to see somebody as like a practical example going through that workflow. I also don't have the opportunity with pair, to like pair with people as much as I might want to, uh, so it can be really difficult to kind of get that get that interaction to watch somebody go through the entire flow of starting with a starting with an acceptance test and driving it all the way out to or letting those tests drive out uh, your design. So that was really really cool. Um, uh, Ryan Singer's talk I thought was uh, extremely interesting, and uh, he basically said that you know design right, designing uh, for users is not about the see- the things that you're seeing 
on the screen as far as like it's not the fonts it's not the colors uh it's not like the stylistic sort of canvas right that you paint for your web page um he said to stop thinking about pixels and start thinking about affordances so he talked about these affordances as all of the things that you can manipulate on the page so like buttons and text inputs and and then an affordance is basically how you allow somebody to do an action so the the top level all the way down to the bottom he started with the 2d layout right and said um, it's not just what you're seeing on the screen. I talked about these affordances. Then he talked about flows. How is how are users getting from one thing to the next thing? Um, and he used the idea of an ATM machine to kind of illustrate that. So what is it that you see when you first get to the screen? And then how do you get from the pin screen to the withdraw screen, from the withdraw screen to the, the screen where you actually salute, uh, select how much you want to take out? And then what's next? It's a, another screen that says, do you want another transaction? Do you want a receipt, et cetera? So talking about these flows and how he maps those out. And uh, I thought what was really cool too is, and only somebody like him could pull this off, right? But he actually didn't have any slides at all. Yeah, I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. So he literally had an iPad Pro up there and he's just kind of, you know, doesn't have any notes. He's just sketching on this tablet as he's up there. And that was just pretty impressive. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't exactly sure what, to, what was going on at first. I was like, is this the whole thing? Or is he going to transition to slides at some point? Uh, but he never did. And then the kind of the last two things he talked about, uh, you know, a little bit higher level was, okay, what are the situations that people are approaching your interface with? So again, using the illustration of an ATM, um, Chase Bank actually instituted this recently where you have this fast cash button. So they, you know, analyzing their user's behavior said, okay, well, this is something we're noticing people are coming in and doing very often is they just need 40 bucks. They always get the same amount out. They just need 40 bucks, right? So instead of having to go through that whole flow, they make a single button that says fast cash. You literally type in your pin and it doesn't even ask you how much money you want. It spits the money out and then you're done. There's no end no, uh, no. do you want another transaction? Do you want a receipt? It literally does that one thing. And that I think is uh, interesting to be like situationally aware of like, how are my users approaching this? What What's the situation that they're in when they're coming to my application? And what do they need to get done? And how can I make that happen as quickly as possible? And um, he kind of, again, one level higher than that said, the only way that you can really figure out those situations is through life experience, right? Having used the application, which is why I think Basecamp is such an incredible product it's because they literally use it for everything. They use it to drive their own development and to drive their discussions about Basecamp. Um, so they have all that life experience they need to be able to say, okay, what are the situations our users are approaching this in and what's the easiest way we can make that um, accessible to our users? So I thought that was just an incredible talk. The dude's like a genius, I swear. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it was funny too because at the end he was he was saying uh, somebody said like, "Where can we learn more about this?" And do you remember what he said? Yeah, something along the lines of "You can't." Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He was like, yeah, um, I, think, "I think he said, you know, I can I can give you a sentence from like ten different books, but really he's had to sort of figure it all out himself." So yeah, hopefully one day he'll uh, he'll jump on the write your own book wagon and because people will really. Um, get get something out of anything i think that he would put out about that yeah yeah so that was that was just an incredible kind of talk to end the conference with it was almost like a keynote you know i mean a little bit i mean uh ryan singer's like a pretty big deal so that was that was cool yeah um 
let's talk a little bit about too uh, any of the changes that were in in Laravel five three. Taylor kind of uh, did a recap of all the changes that are going to be in five three. Was there anything that stuck out to you that you're really looking forward to using? Uh, yeah, um, probably the most standout for me would be Laravel Passport. Okay, um, and what that was was uh, the optional package to allow basically getting a full OAuth two server to go. Um, and and Taylor Taylor ran through that as a live demo um, from start to finish, leaving out obviously the composer install part of it. Um, but he went from you know a, a fresh brand new Laravel 5.3 install to a uh, you know OAuth two powered API server that was serving authenticated you know token authenticated routes um, in eight minutes. I timed it and. <laughs> Eight minutes from from nothing to here's a route that's protected by a token or by you know auth token authentication, um, in eight minutes is is pretty impressive. And the fact that all the scopes are there, for, you know, all the auth auth scopes are there. There's some Vue.js components to generate tokens, revoke tokens, and so on. All of that is just there. So it's it, it's really following on the mantra, I guess, from what Laravel's had in the last couple of releases where it's trying to get that that kind of junk out the way that you don't want to have to deal with from application to application so that you can really knuckle down and start working on your business-specific stuff. So um, I, I actually tried to bring in some token authentication probably about a month ago and sitting there listening to that talk or the, you know, the, the announcement and going, you have covered off all of the bases, you have you know, sort of dealt with all of the things that were sticking points for me that I had to solve myself that are now just there. Yeah. So, yeah, Taylor always seems to be one step ahead with that kind of stuff, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the other things that we had talked about that you said was really going to be helpful with this as well was not only can you do server side requests, but you're also, you can do, um, you know, client side requests from your own application to its self but using authenticated tokens right so if you're using like Vue.js on the front end and you want to be able to as an authenticated user make a request to the same api that you've built for external resources to interact with you can do that as well which was pretty amazing um when you think about it that i know you said that that was something that you kind of had to figure out on your own using like jwt tokens or jot tokens as i've heard them called we, um, yeah, we had a few issues with that. So it's, it's nice that all of that stuff just works out of the box now. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I really thought was awesome that he introduced was these mailable classes. So, and this is something I've kind of done in the past myself, where instead of just calling the mail facade inside a controller, I'll actually generate uh, a sort of class that will dispatch the email for me. And typically I'll queue those as well. So just in case there's some sort of problem, that email is is queued so I didn't just lose it, right? So let's say worst case scenario, you know, Amazon simple email service is down. And I go to send an email and now that job is lost because it failed and it's gone. That email is never going to send, right? So I'll, I'll typically queue those as well. And so what Taylor's made is this basically this new mailable class where you can, just like you would with making a job or whatever, you can actually run an artisan command to generate one of these mailable classes. And then instead of having to set all of those data properties, you know, it's like subject and to and what view you're going to use. And if you're going to use the 
um, you know, if there's going to be like HTML view and a text view and what data you're passing in and all that, instead of having to do that all in the controller and in the facade, which would get really sort of messy, you can kind of abstract all of that and chuck it into these mailable classes. And then when you want to send the mail, you essentially just say mail and then send your, you know, pass through like the email that you want to send through. And then you just say send and then pass through that mailable class. That's it. So it's really really clean, looks a lot nicer, and I feel like it's going to be far more maintainable. You know, instead of having to go through all these controllers and be like, where am I sending that welcome email from? Um, I have to go find that and change it in the controller. You just go to your welcome email, mailable class, and change the attributes on there. So I think that was really cool. And along with that, he has these um, these notifications that she can send out as well. So I thought that was really cool. That's yeah. that's going to be super helpful. So the ability to quickly send a notification and you can set up multiple channels that these notifications go through as well, whether it be SMS or Slack or email or as many other drivers as somebody wants to write for it. So I'm assuming that's going to be something that's going to be blowing up soon too is all these drivers for that notification class. So that was very awesome. Loved, loved that. Laracon was awesome this year. Super thankful to have been there. Uh, it was really awesome to meet you in person for the first time. And uh who knows how long it'll be before we actually get to hang out in real life again. But that was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and we'll move on to kind of some of the other stuff we wanted to talk about. Do you want to kind of talk about Confomo a little bit? And for those of us who haven't heard of it or don't know what it is, uh, could you just kind of give like a brief elevator pitch for what Confomo is? Yeah, so Confomo is a, a project of Matt Stauffer's. And what Confomo does is allows you as a user to create yourself an account via Twitter and then it allows you to track the friends that you want to meet um, at, at any given conference or friends that you did meet at the conference. So it's, I guess it's a layer on top of Twitter in that when you meet someone at a conference, you can add them to Twitter and then over a period of time, especially if you don't see them um, you know, on a regular basis, you may forget where you met them so Confomo is a good way to sort of go back and and revisit those friends and I guess keep tabs on where on your journey you met them. So as I said, this is a project of Matt Stauffer's that's been around for quite some time. Earlier this year, he uh, put out a cry for help, I guess, um, with a bunch of his open source projects and I, I sort of put my hand up and said, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in helping out with Confomo. Um, purely as a learning exercise for um, how how someone else, I guess, uses Laravel. Um, but it was also an opportunity for me to pick up Vue.js and sort of use that in a in some kind of meaningful way. So uh, we did. We had quite a quite a few people using it, I think. And I got I got some numbers from Matt um, sort of the day after Laracon finished, and it was it was it was pretty cool to see. The reach that we got in probably about a week and a half, I think. We, we sort of announced it on the Monday before Laracon. So we ended up with 173 or so users adding just over 300 friends, um, which which I thought was a, a pretty reasonable return. Out of those 170, there was about 130 that then subsequently went in um, and then ticked off people that they had planned to meet prior to the conference starting and then um, having actually met them, uh, so that's really cool. I think that that's probably good for people who maybe are a bit nervous about introducing themselves. I guess mm-hmm. um, you know, at least then you know 
who it is specifically that you want to go up and say hello to so that you can go, yep, I want to, you know, it, it's the same to-do to do list kind of logic that, you know, people like to check things off as being done. So um, that was really good. Um, and then we had around about 80 people that um, had seen someone tweet about it um, ahead of time saying, you know, hey, I'd also like to meet you. So you could basically go onto my public uh, introduction page and, and put in your Twitter username. So that would let me know that um, you wanted to meet up at the conference. So yeah, I think it was a pretty pretty interesting project. Um, it was good to see that, that people did get some use out of it. And it was, it was nice to see some tweets going out about it as well. Um, before and sort of during and after the conference. Yeah, it's always a good feeling when you work really hard on a product and then you actually get to see people use it, right? It's always sort of defeating when you work on some sort of open source project and you're finally done with it, really proud of it, and then nobody uses it. That's the worst. So I'm glad you guys were able to kind of get some user stats out of it and and see what people were using it for and and then maybe um, even iterate to make it a little bit easier for people too you very often forget the people that you were hoping to meet once you get there. Um, you kind of get there and it's just like, it's shock. There's so many people there and it's like, I have no idea like what my plans were. My plans are out the window for who I was going to meet and you just kind of find somebody to talk to. But yeah, if you have that list, it's yeah. easier to be like, oh, that's right. I wanted to go say hi to Eric Barnes. I haven't said hi to him yet. But yeah, it was uh, pretty interesting. I think it would be cool if you could almost uh, package it up into like an app sort of form, even if it was just something like a phone gap. Um, application. Maybe that's something we can work on for yeah. next year. That'd be cool. Yeah, there were a couple of. It was nice to be able to get a few minutes here and there between between talks, and actually had a few people say, you know, this that I had an issue with this or that. So I think it was probably about four or five pull requests that that got closed off during that time. I know you had submitted one as well, which got closed yesterday or the day before. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep, did a couple just re- refactoring things. Yeah. yeah, it was nice to see not only people using it, but then, you know, getting some people to um, engage with it that way, you know, through GitHub as well. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I was going to talk a little bit about some things that I've been uh, working on this week. Before I do that, do you have anything you'd like to mention specifically about uh, anything that you've been working on since you've got back? I know you said that it's been uh, a little bit difficult, just uh, probably energy depletion over there, just trying to catch up. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the what the uptick was or where where it's coming from. But I've had a few people submit issues on a couple of my uh, Laravel packages, so the cascading uh, the cascading soft deletes and the nullable fields package. So it's been nice to go back and and revisit them. Um, and uh, I mean, those are two very small packages. And looking at them, and if you don't look at something for a while, you kind of get that head scratch moment where you have to get yourself back into the mentality of what you were doing at the time. So, I mean, there's been that. I, I pushed out a package as well um, during the conference. Again, just a very small one around uh, model ownership because I find it's something that I do on enough projects that I need an easy way of being able to replicate it around the place. So that was that. Yeah, work's been a bit of a struggle this week. Um, luckily, it was reasonably quiet so i was i was able to sort of plot along and just get to friday and uh, hopefully start recharged again on monday uh one one other thing just before we finish up on on laricon your little parading around doing magic tricks was pretty cool (laughs) oh dude that was totally not planned at all 
oh, I feel I always feel like such a dork when I'm doing magic tricks. I feel like I'm, you know, people are like, oh, you do magic, and I always think of, like the dude in the top hat with the white gloves on, you know. So uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Amanda Folson, who is ambassador awesome on Twitter. She had sent out a picture a while back. It was like all this box of all this swag that she had gotten from all the conferences that she goes to, which is, you know, no lack of conferences she goes to. She pretty much said in her talk, she's a professional conference goer. So that was cool. But um, she mm-hmm. had this pack of cards that looked awesome uh, on this picture. I was like, bring that to me, you know, at Laracon. And so she's like, yeah, absolutely. So I saw her and she's like, I got a pack of cards for you. So she gave it to me. I was like, oh, I, you know, I can't not show her a trick with these cards that she brought me. So showed her a trick real quick, and then she was like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing!" And then I think I can't remember if I just showed Taylor. I think I, yeah, I think I was like, "I'm you know, I'm a huge dork," so I wanted to show Taylor. So I showed Taylor a card trick real quick, and then later he was like, he told Adam like, "Oh, it's, you know, Jake does card tricks. You got to show Adam a card trick." So yeah, and uh, anyway, so I'll have to up my game for next year. They're going to be expecting something, so it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah that was good times good times uh next year i will dress up i'll dress up like a real magician uh you know i'll wear the uh the black top hat and all and the whole thing (laughs) um okay so in my line of work what i'm doing a lot of the stuff that i have to do at my job is automating tasks that nobody wants to do or is otherwise too unintelligent sounds so mean that's not the way i want to say it it's more like (laughs) it's a it's a task that needs to be handled by a machine because it needs to be this done the same way every time and humans just mess that stuff up. Mm-hmm. So essentially what we'll have is a list of directories and they're named in a specific way, uh, referencing maybe some data element that is stored in a database, some legacy database in our system. And so I need to take those directories, I need to go look up a couple pieces of information in our legacy database and then I need to come back rename those directories, and then put them in another folder. And then once that's done, then I need to process through all the files in there, look at the file names, and then categorize those those files depending on what the file name is. So basically like a big regex match, which yeah. sounds easy enough uh, until you have to do it for all sorts of different clients, and every single client sends them in with a different naming structure and scheme and, and whatnot. And uh, some of them you're downloading from, you know, some secured FTP site online. Some some of you get in a in a data set where it's like a zip and you have to unzip it and do all that stuff. But uh, a lot of work with the file system and testing this stuff historically for me has just been an absolute beast. Uh, it's been really really difficult to do because you basically have to create the file structure that I want to imitate um, that I'm going to be receiving from my client. So I've set that up, whether I do that in the test or whether I do that manually the first couple of times, and then I have to basically do my transforms and then make assertions against that file system and how it should look now. The problem happens when you fail partway through a test, which is just part of the whole test-driven development cycle, right? It fails a lot. And every time it fails, you have to go yeah. manually reset that file structure up, and it just becomes very painful. So something I've been working with recently and, and uh, actually Jeffrey Way has a screencast on it is these virtual file systems. So I think PHP ships with a virtual file system, but there's a couple wrappers that you can download that are composer packages that make it a lot, a lot easier to deal with. But there's a couple different ways in, in that you can use them. And the nice thing about them is that you can set it up uh, by just specifying a structure in an array. 
So for example, if you wanted to have a top level folder called downloads, you just make a new array and then have a downloads key. And then you'd make items underneath that. And if you just have a key and a value that represents a file, and then if you have a key and another array underneath that, it represents a directory. So you can set up this, this structure extremely fast. And if your test fails, it fails. No big deal. That virtual file system is destroyed. And the next time the test comes up, it, uh, it regenerates that directory, the whole structure. Nice. Yeah. So it's incredible. You, there's a couple different ways you can, you can do it. You can either, if you have a class where maybe you're passing in a path, you can, you can create a virtual file system and then get the path to that virtual file system and pass that into your class. Um, or you can actually, something that I've been working with is in the case where you have to use both like a cloud disk as well as a local disk, uh, a lot of times you'll use like the storage facade, you know, using the fly system thing in Laravel. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem is it's hard to kind of swap out those disks at testing time. So what I ended up doing was swapping out the drivers. So you can actually specify with storage, if you say storage colon colon extend, you can replace a driver that's already specified in your file system.php config. So if I'm saying like, okay, I'm going to use S3 for my cloud drive, I can in my test say, replace the S3 driver with this driver, which points to a virtual file system that I've created. So I can actually call in my, in my class, I can call storage colon colon disk S3 and use it just like I would. But in my test, I'm replacing that S3 with a virtual file system and I can do my, all, all my work and my assertions against that. So yeah, it's been really, really interesting. I'm going to uh, put out a blog post about it to give a little bit more of a detailed view of how you implement that. I'm trying to figure out if I can even make a package that will make it a little bit easier for folks to use it because it's been extremely helpful for me. Yeah, I'd 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 definitely be keen to look at look at that blog post that you write because uh, a lot of the stuff that we do at work is around uh, transcode of video files. So, and as you say, having having test fail in the early stages and then having to reconstruct your file system and things like that is is quite a pain. So, uh, it's nice to know that there is a better way of dealing with it out there. So. I will wait uh, in uh, with bated breath. Yeah, and the other thing you can do, which is really handy is, as well, is uh, let's say you need to test when you have a massive file, right? Like I need to test to make sure that I can handle a one gig file and it's not going to break or something. If you were doing that with like a test uh, where you're using an actual file system, you'd have to create and store a one gig file with your repository to be able to run those tests, right? Yeah. And with the virtual file system, you can pretty much say, hey, make me a one gig file. And it will create a fake one gig file that doesn't actually exist. But when the file system goes to access it, it says, oh yeah, this is one gig. Um, so pretty incredible. You don't have to store any of that stuff in your test directory, like in a, in a fixtures sort of folder. You can just mock it out. I mean, it's, I guess is the best way to describe yeah. it. Is that, but you don't care about the contents of the file? No. Yeah. So my issue would be that we need to run uh, FF probe over the file and look for certain data. So that would be something that I'd have to probably dig a little bit further in, I guess. Yeah. One thing that you can do is instead of, instead of having to do the work on the actual files, 
and directory structure that you've got set up. So the, the other option you can do is, let's say you have, I don't even know if you'd put it in a fixtures folder or what the best place to put it would be, but you could have a directory uh, for a certain type of test, right? And then what you can do is you can point your virtual file system and say, imitate that directory structure over there. And it will look at that directory structure, kind of take a snapshot of it and imitate it in a virtual file system. So that if it fails, it's only failing against that virtual file system and it hasn't ch- touched that original directory structure that you had. Does that make sense? Nice. Yeah, I like the sound of that. So yeah, it, it just, yeah, it's, it's uh, almost like, if you think of like a virtual machine snapshot, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have like a, t- a point in time. Yeah, it will look at that directory, copy it, and then build that into a virtual file system so that once it fails, you don't have to reset anything up. It just rebuilds it the next time your test runs. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, it was it was very much like a light bulb moment for me. I was kind of browsing through the PHP unit documentation and I was like, what's this? Virtual file system, what is this? So I spent a day like getting into the details and I was like, oh my gosh, I've needed this for like the last three years. So pretty <laughs> cool. Well, anyway, Michael, that's all I've got for today. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? I think I think that's it. Well, hey, thanks again for coming to Laracon. It was super cool meeting you guys. And uh, thanks for the Vegemite. I eat it every morning on my toast. <laughs> not, it's not true, but <laughs> I did let my kids try it. And you should have seen their faces. I should have recorded it for you. Uh, it, was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, one other thing you gave me was Tim Tams. Uh, and yeah, I have pictures of that. I do have pictures of that. They would not leave those things alone. They were sneaking them every chance they got. They'd come around the corner and I'd see chocolate all over their face. <laughs> like, were you eating one of those Tim Tams? I loved them. So anyway, thanks a kitty, lot, man. Kitty crack. That's a kitty crack. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. All right, man. Till next time. Thanks, Michael. No worries. Thank you. Thank you.